thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Today is the start of a brand new series called Deja Vu. Okay, have you ever had that kind of deja vu feeling when I've been here before? And we're looking at kind of timeless truths from old stories, from ancient stories. Because we think, a lot of us think in our modern world that a lot of the issues that we're dealing with as human beings are new issues. And actually, many of those issues aren't that new at all. And in fact, we believe that the Bible has something to say from ancient stories way back in the Old Testament about some of the issues you and I are facing today. And so every week, the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at one of these stories. And today we're looking at the story of Jacob. And as something a little bit different, we thought we'd tell you a little bit of the story of Jacob. So here's Olga to tell you one of the most maybe memorable and important part of Jacob's ancient story. Check it out. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Love that story. Such a powerful story. And uh, we're, we're looking today at uh, this Deja Vu series, uh, uh, Timeless Truths from Ancient Stories. And, you know, we think that our, our world has these, these brand new issues that nobody's ever faced before. But actually, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And some of the issues that you and I face with, they may look different in our modern culture and context, but actually, they're really, really Ancient, And today we want to explore one of the issues of our world right now. And it's the issue of control. And the title is how to let go of the things we can't control. I don't know about you, but the last two years in COVID, this has been a big theme, hasn't it? How to let go of the things we can't control. Now, do, do those of you in the room or watching online, do you know what irony is? Let me just tell you what irony is. Irony is when I'm not meant to be speaking today, but Laura Hancock is meant to be speaking today, part of our teaching team, and she comes up with this title, How to Let Go of the Things We Can't Control. Then yesterday, she gets COVID. Irony, okay? So I'm now talking about how to let go of things we can't control. And the reality is that you and I, over the last couple of years, we know so true, don't we, that there's so much that happens to us that we can't control. And yet we seem to want to control it. And we live in a world that loves to control our own world to suit our own comfort, even when it comes to cars. And um, Alison and my wife, six months ago, had a brand new Mini. It's the only brand new car that she's ever had, okay? We've got it on lease. And as she got it and brought it home lovingly, we were both reminded that the very first car Alison had, do you remember that? Years and years ago, was a Mini. It cost 60 quid. 
okay? And it was bright yellow Mini. Her dad, who was a panel beater at the time, he did all the work on it. So it was literally a scrap car that he did all the work on it. And you loved that car, didn't you? I mean, she loved that car. The steering wheel was this wide. Do you remember it? And this is literally how she went. It had, it was freezing. That car was freezing. Like you put the heater on, but nothing worked. It was freezing. And there were windows. Some of you younger people here in the room and online haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. You opened the window by doing that. Some of you remember? Some of you remember? Now the brand new car that she got six months ago, oh my goodness, it's nothing like that. Okay, it's all buttons, it's computer, you speak to it, you walk into the supermarket and you can switch, you can open it and you can shut it. The reality is that in our modern world, we want to curate the environment of everything that we live in, don't we? So we talk about things like, Alexa, switch the lights on. Alexa, switch the TV on. We can set temperatures by our voice through technology. We love to feel that we are in control of our environment and of our world. And I want to say, as I, as, I, as I share this talk with you, this is Laura's talk, okay? Anything good and helpful is Laura's. Anything not so good and helpful, that's the stuff I've added in, all right? But it's such a good talk, and I want to hopefully do my best to bring this to you. And you, you know, the thing is, we don't just try and curate the world of our environment. We also try to do it with other people, don't we? We try to dictate other people's attitudes, other people's driving, <laughs> other people's behaviours. And we say things like this, why don't you just, anyone ever said that? Why don't you just, why don't you just do it this way? Some of you husbands and wives looking at each other there on the front row, I noticed. Why don't you just do that? And you see, we've just, as our staff team, we've just finished a course uh, where we put all the staff team through this like, um, uh, course, discovering your basic personality types, the four basic personality, choleric, melancholic, sanguine and phlegmatic. And there's a colour assigned to each one. Okay, so whether you're red, yellow, blue or green, I am very definitely very red, which means if as a very red choleric personality, I always think I'm right. Now at the end, at the end of this course, having done the course, I've come up with a discovery. I am always right. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> No, no what, what happens is that we all look at things from our perspective and we project onto others and we try to control others according to ourselves. Because everything you do makes perfect sense to you, right? Everything you do makes perfect sense to you. So what you do is you try to control others to get them to do what you want them to do. Some of you say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. And we all do that. And it's not a new thing. The need to control the outcomes of our life is not a new thing. The way our relationships go, the way our families go, the way our jobs or our financial situation goes, the way our ageing process or our health goes, we are desperate to control the outcomes. Now, I want to talk to some of you today who don't know Jesus. You don't believe in God. Maybe you're here in the room. Maybe you're watching online. And one of the reasons that people don't believe in God is this, that they think that they can control everything that happens to them or around them. And actually, that kind of works until it doesn't. Until that moment comes when you lose the job or until that moment comes when the relationship breaks up or until that moment comes when you hear news from the doctor that you never ever dreamed or imagined that you would hear. And all of a sudden, that controlled world that has no need or desire for God, all of a sudden is rocked 
and is shaken. But I wanna talk to some of you who used to follow God and used to follow Jesus, but now you don't. And the reason you don't now is that life didn't work out like you expected it to. The outcome didn't match your outlook. You thought it would end up this way, but now it doesn't. And I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who used to follow Jesus, who used to love God, but life didn't work out like they expected it to. They didn't get the outcome they wanted. Therefore, they stopped following God. But I also wanna talk to all of us in the room and online who are following Jesus, but if we're really honest, still try to control the outcomes of our life. And I know I do, and I know all of us do that. And you see, it's not a passive thing, is it? I mean, following Jesus doesn't mean that we just let God do everything and we don't do anything. I mean, we're active in the process. After all, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, right? Wrong, the Bible doesn't say that. And yet we have that kind of attitude in our mind that says, actually, if I just can do it all, God, you just wait there. Let me just sort it all out how I want to. And then I'll, fill, I'll bring you in if I need you. And God kind of says, nah, that's not how this is going to work. That's not how this is going to work. And here's the big thing that we're looking at. Are you willing to carry the cost of compromising your character to get your outcome? Are you willing to compromise the cost of your character to get your outcome. And this week we're looking at this ancient story of Jacob and we're gonna dive all the way through Jacob's life. Now, Jacob was a third generation follower of God, okay? His grandfather, Abraham, uh, was a pioneer that heard God that left the land and set up in Canaan. His son, Isaac, was a settler who in inhabited the land. And then his son, Jacob, was the third generation kid. And if you look at businesses, organisations, churches, the third generation syndrome is a real thing. I know that because I'm the third third generation of a family business. My grandfather and his, and his brothers set up a business after the war. My father, my uncles, like all the sons, they then were the second generation. Me and my cousins were the third generation and we quit. And the business is no longer in existence to today. That's a thing, the third generation syndrome. And you see, when Jacob comes along, he's a classic third generation guy. His name actually literally means holder of the heel, like grabber of the heel. It also means supplanter. It's kind of like a deceiver, a schemer. And um, he really lived up to his name in so many ways. See, in Jacob's time, one of the big issues was the firstborn. If you were the firstborn son, then you only, you, not only did you inherit, but you received a double portion. And the double portion of inheritance when your father died was number one, the first portion was because you were the firstborn son. But the second portion, the double portion, was that you now became the head of the family. And, and Jacob is holding onto the heel of his older brother Esau as they fly out of the womb together, okay? Because Esau is the firstborn and Jacob's holding on and grasping onto his heel. And then later on, as, as teenage lads and, and Esau is a hunter and he's out hunting and, and Jacob kind of tricks him into swapping his birthright for a bowl of stew. I mean, the guy comes back in from the fields after hunting and he says, I'm famished, I'm gonna die. I'm going to die. And you know they're not. And here's this guy that says, I'm famished and there's some stew and he exchanges his destiny and his future for a temporary satisfaction of his appetites. Who would do that? None of us would do that, would we? 
None of us would swap our destiny and our future for something that we know is temporary and it just satisfies our human appetites. You and I would never do that, right? You and I would never do that. Of course we would. And this is the deceiver that Jacob has become. And then, as if to make it work, and this is like the worst really, I think. He then dresses himself up in animal skins because his brother Esau is hairy and he tricks his partially sighted father into believing that he, Jacob, is his older brother Esau. And then he tricks him into laying hands on him and giving him the birthright of the firstborn, the double portion of inheritance. And as a result of that, all he does in his life is to try to control situations so he gets the preferred outcome. We're going to see that this is a pattern throughout the whole of his life. And you kind of wonder whether, is someone doing this because, to this extent because they're covering something? Maybe insecurity, maybe fear. You know, I don't know, it's something going on on the inside. Controlling the outcome became more important than maintaining his integrity. Can God redeem this? Absolutely yes. Do you and I also try to do this from time to time? Absolutely yes. Like a subtle retelling of a story that makes us look better than we actually are. Like trying to push that other person in our life to make the decision that we want them to make because it makes perfect sense to us and so it ought to make perfect sense to them. Like trying to twist God's arm. You ever done that? Like, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. God, if you would just answer this this way, if you just give me this relationship, if you just give me this job, if you just give me this outcome, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's manipulation. And that was Jacob's speciality. But you know, if you're a Jesus follower, I wanna say this. The wrestle for control is not about outcome. It's about obedience. Can I obey God and surrender my heart and my life to God, whatever the outcome might be? That's so, so challenging. And we finished last week the follow series that I'd done for the last five weeks. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fine print of what it means to follow Jesus. And we looked at this verse in Luke uh, chapter nine, where then he, Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. God asks us to take a step towards following Him and as we do that, to become more like Him and not just to surrender our outcomes, but to surrender our heart. And you know, going back to Jacob, as Jacob does all this deception, so he comes out of the womb grasping, then he, then he deceives for the birthright, then he deceives his own father, then he goes on the run from his brother, who's really cross, okay, and from his father, who's absolutely heartbroken and distraught. And he goes on the run, but you know, on the run, Jacob encounters God so many times. Like the one time he's in this desert place, and the Bible says he came to a certain place. I love that little phrase. He came to a certain place. I don't know whether some of you have come to a certain place. You've kind of been running or you've kind of been just doing life and you've come to a desert place and you've come to a certain place. And in that certain place, he lays his head down on a stone, on a rock. And I don't know how many of us have realised that in our lives, we've come to a certain place where it feels rock and it feels hard and it feels like we're in a desert. But in that place, he met God. 
As he dreamt that night, he had a vision where he saw heaven opened up and the ladder uh, to and fro and angels coming up and down. And incredibly, God spoke to Jacob, even though he was on the run, even though he was trying to scheme and control and manipulate. And God gave him an incredible promise. Listen to this. This is the promise. Then Jacob will say, God gave him this promise about what he would do. Sorry, I missed a bit there. God gave him this promise about what he would do through his life. So Jacob responds and he made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshipping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Can you not hear the control in that? Like how many times does Jacob say, if, if God will do this and if he will provide this and if I return safely, then, if and then. How many of us do that? Like if this happens, then. It shouldn't be if, it should be since. Since God is who he says he is, I will. Whether I get the outcome or not, that's immaterial. Since God is who God is, who God says he is, then I will do that. It's not if and then, it should be since and will. I will since God is who he says he is. Can we ultimately hand over to God that which is most valuable to us regardless of the outcome? Can you trust God with your one and only life? Can you trust God with what or who is most valuable and important to you? Can you trust God with and fill in the blank? 25 years ago, nearly 25 years ago, and some of you will know this story, some of you are newer to us won't. Alison and myself sat in a, um, at the car, out in the car park of a hospital. And we'd just been told as young parents the news that our youngest son, Simeon, um, has got complex learning disabilities, special needs, autism, ADHD, all kinds of things. And we're basically told very bluntly by a doctor that he will always need help the whole of his life. We were young parents, just barely 30, with another young son and then Simeon. And I remember sitting in the car with Alison and we were in tears and in bits. And if you'd have said to me then, 25 years ago, can you trust God with what's most important to you in regardless of the outcome? I don't think I'd have been able to answer it. And here's the truth. It's not a linear process. It's not something like, oh yeah, I came to a point where I had to hand over my son to God and trust him. No, no, it's a circular process. It happens time and time and time again. And have we been involved in his life? Of course we have. Have we done things? Of course we have. Have we fought for him? Of course we have. Have we um, suggested things, made things happen? Of course we have. But there's been loads of times, guys, when we've run out of options. There's nothing we could do to control the outcome. We had to hand him and we do have to hand him over to God. And we have to say, God, regardless of the outcome, I will trust you. One of the things I love is um, I love seeing uh, little kids jumping into pool for the first time. You ever seen that? You ever been like on holiday and something and when you see, and you see like maybe their dad or their mom, but often it's the dad because the mom's, you know, chilling out because she deserves it. But the dad's in the pool uh, and the dad wants the little kid to jump in the pool. And so the dad stands really close to the edge and the kid's really scared. So he just kind of falls in. Then the dad goes back a little bit. Uh, and it's not about the jump. It's about the trust, isn't it? What the dad wants more than anything is for the kid to trust that when the kid jumps, dad will catch him. 
You see, what, what the dad wants more than anything is for the kid to know that dad's arms are strong and dad's heart is good. That's exactly the same with God. The reason you and I can't let go of the things that we can't control is often that we don't trust that his arms are strong and that his heart is good. And so maybe there's something for you today, maybe a person, maybe a relationship, maybe a challenge, maybe, I don't know what it is. And you know that, 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 that you kind of let it go and then you pull it back. And then you kind of let it go and then you pull it back. Why? Maybe because deep down, you're not sure that God's arms are strong enough and his heart is good and he wants the best for you regardless of the outcome. You see, the wrestle for control is not about outcome. It's about obedience to a God who is love. Will you trust him with your heart? Guys, will you trust him with your heart today? Jacob knows it, but he can't quite believe it. And I think the reason for us is often it, it's, it's rooted in fear. It's rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in that sense that we just don't quite believe that, that even though we know up here that God is strong and God is good and God is powerful, is he all those things for us? So then Jacob arrives at his uncle Laban's. And this is a great story, we haven't got the time. But basically he sees the two, he sees the two daughters of Laban. The younger daughter, Rachel, the Bible describes her as lovely in form. Okay, that basically means she's a babe. Okay, that basically is that what that means. The older, the older one, Leah, the Bible says she had weak eyes. Bless her. I mean, so the one sister is described as lovely in form, the other is weak eyes. Which one did Jacob fall in love with? Yep, you've got it, typical bloke. And so he falls in love with the younger one and he says, oh, I'll work for, for her. And he works for seven years. And then what happens is that they get married and then on the morning after the night before, when he wakes up, he realises that the woman that he spent his marriage, married night with wasn't the younger one, Rachel, but the older one, Leah. That's a shock on your wedding morning, isn't it? You see, what happens here is the deceiver gets deceived. The manipulator gets manipulated. The controller gets controlled. And like Jacob is like receiving some of his own medicine but you know, he does really love Rachel. And so he works another seven years. Then he gets Rachel. So now he's got two wives within Rachel and Leah. It was all right in the day and the time. We won't talk about that. But eventually he moves on and eventually he says, you know what, I'm going to stop running. And eventually he returns home to face the music and to mend the bridges that his control and deception had broken. And as he's heading home, he ends up again in this kind of desert type situation where in the night he has an encounter with an angel. It's called a theophany. It's kind of like God almost. It's like an appearance of God. And basically it's the story that Olga read just before I started talking. And it's this really famous, if you know the story, well-known story of a wrestling match between Jacob and God. And in the red corner... You've got Jacob weighing in at 95 kilograms, really nervous, really scared, a deceiver, a manipulator, not really a fighter. And in the blue corner, you've got God weighing in at, what's he weighing at? A lot. Okay, so you've basically got a real mismatch of a wrestling match. But here's the amazing thing. The wrestling match re reveals something incredibly powerful about the heart of God because God lets Jacob win. Why would he do that? Why would God in the wrestling match let Jacob almost win? In fact, he couldn't overpower him. I'll tell you why. Because God loves you and I so much that he will never wrestle us into submission because that's not what love does. 
So what God does is He says, hey, I'm waiting for you to release control to me. I'm waiting for you to surrender to me. I'm not going to make you. You have to be willing to let it go yourself. And what's incredible is that in this wrestle, God changed his name from Jacob, which means grasper, to Israel. And he also touched his hip so much so that he walked with a limp the rest of his life. And in the Bible, when you get your name changed, it's not just a name change. It's calling you not just to a new name, but to a new nature. God is saying to Jacob, stop deceiving and controlling and manipulating. There's more in you. There's greatness in you. I'm changing your name to call you not just to a new name, but to a new nature. And I'm touching your hip because I want you to walk differently than you used to walk I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, and I've been doing what I'm doing long enough to know this is true of many of us, that we do what we do and God touches us and we encounter God. And then we go back and we do what we were doing before because we don't walk it out. We don't let God walk it out. We go back to our old ways of, have, of being, of manipulating, of controlling, of scheming, of trying to control the outcome rather than letting God transform us totally. And Jacob knows now what God has promised. So God has promised to Jacob. He's encountered God. He's had a new name. He's been called to a new nature. He's walking differently with a limp. Every day is a reminder of his encounter with Almighty God. So what does he do? He goes back to exactly the same thing that he did before. He tells Esau he'll meet him somewhere and then he goes somewhere else. He's controlling, he's manipulating. It's so, so sad and it's so complex and it's so human. You see, ultimately the question remains, which is more important to you and I? Is it the outcome or is it our character? You see, your greatest responsibility is the stewardship of your heart and to let God be in control of the outcomes. And for those of you that are not Christians today and you think, you know, I don't know whether I want to give God everything. Listen, I want to be really honest with you. God is all that you need, but He's more than that. He's all that you really want. I don't follow God because of what He can give to me now. I follow God. I did, but I follow God because of who He is. That means that if the outcomes are the outcomes and the outcomes are it, that's fine. Because actually, God is the God that satisfies our desires. And the character of our heart is what's really at stake. But the other thing I love about God is I love the fact that God gives us chance after chance after chance. I mean, so many times Jacob would control and scheme and manipulate and God just gave him chance after chance after chance. You ever been through a, 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 one of those uh, metal detector things in the airport? Ever been through that? And, uh, you know, you kind of think, oh, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. It's going to beep. Do you know what I mean? And if you've ever walked through, I've done this and I've walked through, beep, it's me. And in the old days, you used to be able to go back round and then you take something out of your pocket and then you go, have you ever done that? Where you've, you've walked in, it's gone, beep, oh, gone back in, walked in, beep. And it's like, you keep going round and round and round. And it's like, like have I got a metal leg? Like, what's happening? And basically, you keep going round until all of the metal is gone. And it's almost like with Jacob and with us, God is so patient that he keeps going round and round. Beep, okay, here it is again. Beep, here it is again, see it? Beep, control. Beep, manipulation. Beep, scheming. Beep, deception. And he just keeps going until all of it's gone and until we surrender our full life and our heart to him. Back to Jacob's story for a final time. Jacob has 12 sons, some of them with Leah, some of them with Rachel. The two he has with Rachel, 
because that's his favourite wife, okay? Joseph and Benjamin. Rachel dies. The brothers of Joseph, you know the story, if you've seen the musical, seen the film, they're so jealous of Joseph that they put him in a pit and they sell him into slavery in Egypt and they tell their father he's dead. Then there's famine in the land and the brothers go down to Egypt where Joseph, who's now prime minister, brings them and he holds Benjamin back and they go back to their father and they sell to their father. You know, um, the son that you love, Benjamin, you know that one? He's in, in, in Egypt and he's in captivity. And so Joseph now as an old, uh, Jacob as an old man is now faced with this prospect. He's the son that he loved the most, he thinks is dead. And the son that he loved the second the most is in captivity in Egypt. What is he now gonna do to get the outcome that he wants? And this is just an incredible, incredibly powerful bit of the Bible. Just listen to this. Genesis 43. So their father Jacob finally said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of this land. Take them down to the man. And the man, he doesn't know. The man is his son, Joseph, okay? He doesn't know that. As gifts, balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts and almonds. Also take double the money that was put back in your sacks as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother. This is Benjamin, who he doesn't want to go, okay? Because this is like the second son. He's, like, he's lost Joseph. He's not going to lose this son as well. Then take your brother and go back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin, sorry, Benjamin return who's in captivity. This is it. But if I must lose my children, so be it. Wow. Like if I must lose my children, so be it. This is the language of surrender, guys, isn't it? This is the language of surrender. So be it. You know, when you and I say, Amen, Amen literally in the Greek means, so be it. It means, whatever your will is, God. It means, whatever it is. It means, I am surrendering the outcome to you and I'm trusting my heart into your care. Whatever the outcome, so be it. I wonder how many of you are waiting to get married, looking for that relationship. If it doesn't come, what are you gonna do? If you don't get the outcome you want, maybe some of you are waiting for kids. Maybe some of you are waiting for your kids to come back on the rails, you know, because they've fallen off. Or, or, or maybe some of you've got difficult situations health-wise, or maybe you've got uh, financial challenges or job situations and, and you're waiting for the outcome. And there's nothing wrong with that. But could you come to the point where you say to God, so be it. Whatever the outcome, I'm yours. Whatever the outcome, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna trust that your arms are strong and your heart is good. You know, I can't guarantee what will happen to you or to your outcome. You see, for Jacob, he got Benjamin and Joseph back. Can you imagine that? So he got Benjamin back, but then he got Joseph who he thought was dead. He got him back as well. So there's a great outcome, but it might not have been that way. But he came to a point of surrender where he surrendered his heart regardless of the outcome. You see, the wrestle for control is not about outcome. It's about obedience to a God who loves you and a God who wants the best for you. And guys, I, this is, a, I think, this message that Laura has put together is a powerful message that as you track through the life of Jacob, so many times he does the whole scheme, control, manipulation thing, and it never, 
He hardly ever gets the outcome he wants, but in the process of doing that, he loses who he really is. He loses his character. He loses his integrity. And yet he comes to a point as an old man where he says to God, okay, God, I give up. That's the healthiest place you can ever come to with God, isn't it? Just to say, I give up. Whatever the outcome, so be it. Live or die, so be it. Married or not married, so be it. Kids or no kids, so be it. Job or no job, so be it. I'll do all I can do, but I'm not going to try to control all the outcomes. I'm going to surrender to you. And ultimately, I'm surrendering my heart to you. So do you believe today, here in this room, Hagley, Rowley, Clibbery, online, do you believe that his arms are strong enough and his heart is good? Take a jump. Take a jump. Surrender control to him again today. Let's pray. Let's pray. I want to pray for you this morning. I think this is a powerful, powerful message. And I think God wants to speak into many of our lives and situations. And you know, Jacob came to this point many, many, many times in his life. He really did. Because God is so gracious and so loving and so kind and so patient with us. Oh my goodness. God has been so patient with me and He's had to be. He's had to be because I'm an idiot. Just don't learn the lessons and time and time again. Coming around the same mountain, going around that beep, 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 so many times. Pockets full of my own stuff. And yet God in His graciousness and patience keeps going and keeps loving because He wants for us more than we can ever imagine. So I wanna pray for you. Father, I pray for every person here in this room, those watching, wherever they're watching from, whenever they're watching it, Lord, may we all know that You are a God that we can trust. Your arms are strong and Your heart is good. And we can surrender not only the outcome to You, but we can surrender more importantly, our heart to You. And Lord, today we wanna declare along with Jacob, so be it. Whatever it is, so be it. I'm Yours. Not gonna try and control everything. Lord, I'm gonna love You and love others like You love me. So be it. And so Lord, here's my heart. I wanna surrender my heart to You again today. In Jesus' Name, Amen. As we finish, I'm gonna, we've asked the band to sing a great song and we want you to sing it with them as well. But I'm gonna ask that you stay seated in this place and in our locations as well. Just stay seated for a moment. And as the guys begin to sing and as you begin to sing, as God speaks to you, maybe He already has, and you today wanna say, so be it, so be it. You wanna surrender again that control. You wanna surrender that issue, surrender that servant. Or you just wanna say, God, that's how I wanna live my life. So be it. Then you stand as your way of responding to God, okay? So as you stand, you're saying, so be it, so be it. My life, the outcomes, my heart, all belong to you. You respond to you, to God, as God speaks to you. And you just say, as you stand, so be it. And we'll sing and worship Jesus together. Thanks, God.